0: From Toronto, Canada,
1: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. And once again, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. What is an imaginarium? A number of you have asked me that question in emails and letters, uh, and I don't believe there's an actual definition in the dictionary for an imaginarium, uh, but it refers to a place, as you can imagine, that's devoted to the imagination. So there are various types of Imaginaria, centers, uh, that are devoted to stimulating and cultivating the imagination uh, towards scientific, commercial, recreational, or, as in the case of this program, I suppose, paranormal, metaphysical, spiritual ends, conspiratorial. So there you go, in a nutshell, Imaginaria. It's kind of lonely in here tonight. Albert the intern is off. So no pictures, just my discarnate voice and uh, that of my guest who is standing by to talk about a most remarkable, uh, somewhat controversial, probably largely misunderstood, and certainly arcane piece of ancient literature. Uh, although it's not part of the uh, biblical canon, it is ascribed by tradition to Enoch, the great grandfather of Noah. Uh, we will talk about the uh, the book of Enoch A little bit later, Uh, Tim Spreen, of course, is here. It's not that lonely, but he's way over there on the other side of the glass. I can barely see him. Uh, So it's just you, me, the telephone, and the old-fashioned radio. Uh, I mentioned the Book of Enoch, and R.J. von Brüning will be with us momentarily. He spent about a quarter of a century researching the forbidden knowledge of Enoch and the esoteric knowledge contained therein, and uh, his conclusion is that Enoch reveals that the story of humanity is far older and richer than the institutions of society have led us to believe. Uh, But before we work R.J. von Brüning into the proceedings, let me remind you to get on up to the website richardserrett.com and more specifically the Slide Carousel, uh, where Albert, although not here, uh, has posted a collection of fascinating stories, as usual. The one that really grabbed my attention was or is, an expose by U.S. Senator Ben Sanders, who in this piece calls out 18 CEOs who took trillions in bailouts and then evaded taxes and outsourced jobs. Uh, Sanders fires back at 80 CEOs who wrote a letter lecturing America about deficit reduction uh, by releasing a report detailing how 18 of these 80 CEOs have wrecked the economy by evading taxes and outsourcing jobs. 80 CEOs first raised the ire of Senator Sanders by publishing a letter in the Wall Street Journal urging America to act on the deficit and reform Medicare and Medicaid. Senator Sanders responded to the lecture from America's CEOs, again, by releasing his own report that details how 18 of them have helped blow up the deficit and wreck the economy by outsourcing jobs and evading U.S. taxes. You can read all of that. Again, that's posted in the slide carousel at Richard uh, richardserat.com. Now, very quickly, speaking of the website, I just want to give you plenty of advance notice. Uh, at, some point, uh, at some point this summer, com is going to be renovated, revamped, and relaunched. We're going to go in there with a wrecking ball. Well, not exactly. Uh, I, have an, I have a number of projects. Here's the problem. I have a, a number of projects and brands. Uh, There's this show, The Conspiracy Show, and the TV show, also called The Conspiracy Show. And then there is my weekly radio feature that airs on our flagship station here, AM740, called Strange Planet. And then there are the live events, Follow the Truth. It's too confusing. I can't even keep them all straight. So what I'm going to do is bring everything under one banner, one brand, including the website. And it's going to be relaunched as Strange Planet, strangeplanet.ca or .tv. So, no more com. Again, it'll be StrangePlanet.ca, StrangePlanet.tv. Although, if you forget and enter RichardSerrett.com, it should point to the new website. But that's all coming up uh, later in the summer. I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. The Conspiracy Show app uh, is also um, mm-hmm. very close to, uh, to completion. Well, it is completed. What, 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 what we're waiting for is approval for one final update and then we're ready to unveil officially. Thanks for your patience. Some of you may already have found it at uh, Google Play or Apple, uh, the, the iTunes store, and that's great. Uh, but you'll likely have to update uh, the uh, the next version in uh, very soon, anyway. All right, let's talk about the Book of Enoch. Now, most of you are probably aware... Uh, somewhat, of the first section of the Book of Enoch, and that, that's about the Watchers. That describes the fall of the Watchers, the angels who fathered the Nephilim. And we've talked about the Nephilim countless times on this program. But there's much more to the Book of Enoch. And uh, R.J. von Brüning is here uh, to unveil that. He uses archaeoastronomy, religious sto- uh, stories, ancient artifacts, and our modern understanding of human evolution to present a compelling and thought-provoking case to suggest just about everything we think we know about our origins is wrong. R.J. Von Bruning is a new author, amateur astronomer with an extensive technical background in the electrical industry. The forbidden knowledge of Enoch is, as I say, the product of almost 25 years of historical research into the occult, secret societies, and conspiracy theories. He lives and writes in the great state of Montana. R.J., welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
0: Great, and thanks for
1: having me on your show. My pleasure. Uh, now, there is some conflict as to the origin, in fact, of the, of the Book of Enoch. Uh, it is attributed to Enoch, who was the the, uh, the grandfather, or the great-grandfather, rather, of Noah. So some say, well, then it must have been written before the flood, and this would go back uh, many thousands of years ago. Others... Uh, Western scholars say, no, it's more likely dating uh, from about 300 B.C., uh, and perhaps the Book of Parables, which is another part of the Book of Enoch, maybe uh, to as recently as the first century B.C. When do you believe? Give me a date uh, before I, we proceed.
0: I have to go with the more traditional idea that, Enoch, that the Book of Enoch is ancient, that it may actually predate the flood
1: predate the flood. All right. Well, if it was, in fact, uh, written by Enoch, and he was uh, the great-grandfather of Noah, then it would have to be
0: uh, pre-flood.
1: Give us a a sense of who uh, Enoch was.
0: Well, Enoch is described in the Bible, uh, briefly, very briefly, in the book of Genesis. And just as you had just covered, uh, he was the great-grandfather of Noah. Uh, He is mentioned again in the New Testament and there really isn't much in the Biblical text about him. Um, most everything we know about Enoch comes directly from the Book of Enoch, and basically what's been drug along within the Judeo-Christian tradition with him. Um, in the Book of Enoch he's described as a scribe, uh, and that he wrote approximately 365 books, which is kind of interesting because he is said to have lived 365 years before he was taken away from Earth by God himself. So that's kind of an interesting little thing for an esoteric tie-in because there's always a significance that it's equal to the the, the numbers in the year. Right.
1: Now, why isn't it, or, or maybe, uh, let me back up, uh, when did uh, Enoch uh, sort of get discarded or kicked out of the the consideration for inclusion in the biblical canon. Although there are some, um, I'm Greek Orthodox, I I know the the, um, Ethiopian Orthodox Church and the Eritrean Orthodox Church include Enoch in the biblical canon, but uh, for the most part it is
0: excluded.
1: Uh, When did that happen and why?
0: Um, The Book of Enoch was at one time in the Western canon and was accepted scripture. In 364 A.D. is when it was removed, and it was removed with eventually what became known as the pseudo-acropical Texas. Uh, in fact, all these books at one time were used by the early Catholic Church in the Western world, but in 364 they were removed. Uh, the reason Enoch was removed is predominantly for two reasons. One is just because of all the information it gave about the fall of the Watchers, and it did give a lot of other details that basically conflicted with the biblical story of the flood. So the church really didn't like that, and people were really kind of coming more to hear the fire and brimstone angels falling from heaven stories instead of hearing the sermons. So it was becoming kind of a distraction. And then when the book was actually removed the church actually the there's writings that still exist that they speak that speak about it was removed because of, of the idea it presents and the way it was written because it was written in the first person and that's vastly different than the rest of the biblical text and Enoch has a one-on-one relationship with god and the angels he 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 talks to them and sees them and looks at him and hangs out with them on a regular basis. And that presents a very dangerous idea, especially to the early Catholic Church, that you don't need a priest or the Church to have a relationship with God. So that's basically why it was removed out of the canon. And then after it was removed out of the canon, it just kind of, Fell out of circulation and just slowly disappeared over the centuries. That by the middle of the Middle Ages, it just had completely disappeared in the Western world.
1: Now, uh, uh, parts of it, uh, the Book of Enoch, certainly are almost as inscrutable a riddle as uh, Revelation. Um, We should take some time, and uh, because there there are, I guess, basically five parts uh, uh, to the Book of Enoch. Uh, and, and as I mentioned earlier, most of us are somewhat familiar, at least, with the Book of the Watchers. Uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of a guided tour, just a thumbnail sketch of what each of these five sections uh, is about.
0: Um, well, like you said, the first section had basically covered the fall of the Watchers. Um, the second part essentially covers the flood of Noah, providing additional details about it, um, more kind of personal stories. The, trying to remember off the top of my head, because I predominantly concentrate on the last part of the book of Enoch.
1: Oh, that would be the epistle, the epistle of Enoch. Or the the, the dream visions. Yeah, the dream
0: vision is mainly what I concentrate on. Okay.
1: All right, well, we we will uh, concentrate on that. Uh, When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with R.J. von Brüning, The Forbidden Knowledge of Enoch. We'll talk a little bit about the Watchers, who were the Watchers, who were the Nephilim, and then we'll talk about the Book of Dream Visions, also called the Book of Dreams, part of The Lost Book of Enoch, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, this is a a book that is 25 years uh, in the making, Uh, so as you can imagine, we are only going to not even scratch the surface. The Forbidden Knowledge of Enoch, R.J. von Brüning, joins us from the great state of Montana. And uh, uh, the the book of The Watchers, Uh, let's just take a few moments uh, and and, uh, talk about The Watchers. Who were The Watchers? The
0: Watchers... Are traditionally viewed as the fallen angels or who eventually become the fallen angels with their leader being remembered as Satan or Lucifer as he's traditionally called and also known as the bringer of light or the light bringer with the light typically representing knowledge that this being brought knowledge and this story is pretty central to most ancient astronaut theories, and kind of a mystery and a focus point in most of the history, and a big focus point within the book of Enoch. Uh, traditionally, as probably as most of your listeners know, that the watchers are also recorded as the sons of God in the Bible, and we are told that they eventually take women wives and have offspring. The Nephilim.
1: the Nephilim. And the Nephilim are, uh, these are giants, are they not? A race of giants, um, according to some translations or interpretations?
0: In some translations, I personally interpret it that, going more with the oral traditions, that the, the first offspring were much like their fathers, that they were very godlike, that they were tall, they were blonde, blue-eyed, and kind of what you think of an angel when you hear the word. It is when they take human wives and their offspring become the giants. Now, there's a number of people who probably would debate that, but either way, it's still that both groups are offsprings of these same fallen watchers, whether or not it's a generation or two removed.
1: Right, and and as you uh, uh, point out, uh, this this section of Enoch r- really has given rise, along with some other uh, ancient texts, the, the cuneiforms from uh, from Sumeria, and we're all familiar with the work of uh, Zechariah Sitchin. Um, this has given rise to the the ancient uh, alien uh, theory. Uh, now, where do you come in on, on this in terms of, uh, I mean, who do you think the watchers were? Because I one of the problems I have with the idea that these were fallen angels who commingled with the daughters of men and produced offspring is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a great student of the Bible or as, as much as I should be. But to me, it doesn't make sense that uh, a spirit entity, an, an angel, uh, could produce offspring or could you know, could commingle with, with a mortal, a human.
0: I think that's you kind of have to take an ancient viewpoint with this. The ancients didn't view most of these beings as spiritual like we do today. They they viewed them and described them as actual physical entities so that you could interact with them, that they were just as real as us, flesh and blood. And this kind of gets to an idea that I presented at the end of the book Um these beings, I suspect, are not really aliens like traditionally thought in the ancient alien theory that they evolved and developed on another planet in another solar system and eventually came here to Earth. Um, I'm leaning more and more to the idea that these beings were originally from Earth, that they're an older species that evolved here, developed, and then left. For millions of years and then came back and that's because there seems to be a real strange emotional attachment and then there are all these traditional stories of the angels the fallen angels taking human wives and being able to produce offspring and the only way in my mind that you can do that is you have to be closely genetically related because most of these ancient stories don't Give any indication that technology is being used or involved, or that these beings come down and they live with humans, and that's always been a real fascinating point to me.
1: Oh well, it, it, I mean, it takes a really interesting uh, twist because uh, I note in your in a, in one of your uh, recent blogs, you um, you actually tie in the uh, you know the Bigfoot uh, riddle uh, into the Book of Enoch. And uh, that that I would imagine does that tie into uh, the the Watchers and perhaps a, a product or a p- part of their offspring? How does that how, do, how does Bigfoot of all things work its way Actually, into the Bigfoot Book of Enoch? Bigfoot
0: comes much much later in the story. And the key for the way I take this or the approach I take is I start with the dream vision, which is a little farther into the Book of Enoch. In fact, it's really close to the end, which is a story that's essentially overlooked by everybody. And it is a symbolic or allegorical retelling of the biblical story. And it uses animals in place of people in groups and uses men to represent angels. And this story is actually, the mo- I think, the most important part of Enoch, because this symbolic story, this dream vision unlocks the rest of the story and the symbolism. And the big secret to it is is that there's three main characters in it, the bulls, the sheep, and the lambs. And I hypothesize that the bulls are Neanderthal, that the sheep are Cro-Mangling Man, and the lambs are us. And then you use that knowledge to construct a generic timeline based on what we know about human evolution for approximately the last 200,000 years. And then you stretch the dream vision out over that timeline. And the amazing part is, is it seems to fit.
1: All right, well, now, let's, let's, let's uh, spend some time uh, and, and get into that, uh, that dream vision then, the dream vision of Enoch. This is when uh, he ascends in, into heaven, essentially, correct?
0: Essentially, um, it is traditionally, like so traditionally viewed as just an allegorical retelling of the biblical story. And all the scholars and experts and lay alike, <coughs> excuse me, agree on that point. And it does, it starts with Enoch seeing two, a bull coming forth from the earth and then seeing a heifer and then he sees a red bull and then a black bull and then the black bull gores. The Red Bull, and all the scholars agree that this is the Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve story. Um, that little tidbit of symbolism of it, of the bowl is kind of a kind of a little keyhole into the rest of the story, because the symbolism of the bowl related to the first men is what's important in this story, and from that you extrapolate out that. The bull symbol represents the first men, and the first men end up later in the story being the ones that are corrupted by the watchers. And the neat part about this is you can take that little tidbit out of the dream vision of the bull representing the first men and apply it to other cultures, like Greek culture when they speak of Zeus coming to Earth and turning himself into a bull to seduce some lady. We typically think of an actual bull in our head, but the dream vision and understanding the symbolism, this esoteric understanding of the symbolism, will tell you that no, he came down and tr- turned himself into one of the first men. Ah,
1: interesting. In fact, I believe the the symbol of the European Union uh, is of a bull, which I suppose then would. Uh Uh, would refer to Zeus, and uh, a a woman riding on the back. This would be the woman that Zeus seduced and carried away.
0: Correct. And that this symbolism that we see every day, just like that, is esoteric symbolism, and it all relates back to these different mythologies, and that symbolism is unlocked through the dream vision. Uh,
1: The the dream vision, uh, um, keeping with the uh, the theme of the bulls, there's uh, um, a passage in there about a black bull goring a red bull and pursuing him over the earth. And thereupon, uh, Enoch says, I believe he's talking to his son Methuselah, uh, uh, and there uh, thereupon I could no longer see that red bull. So the black bull gores the red bull, pursues him over the earth, and then the red bull disappears. What's that all about?
0: That would be the, what we would explain in the Bible, or, or we know in the Bible as Cain slaying Abel. Ah, What's unique in the dream vision is the colors. Uh, Traditionally, these are viewed as um, in more of a symbolic meaning of white is purity, red uh, is martyrdom, black means sin. But I speculate that in the rest of the story that these might be racial characteristics, that these might be ways these... These beings, if we were genetically modified or created, that we were originally broken along genetic lines, that we that from the very beginning, and that it possibly was some type of classification, or that's how they just broke us up into different groups. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on that because there's so many different speculations, but that there's appears to be some type of racial component, and within the traditions too, over the centuries, people have. Kind of noticed that in Christianity there seems to be this racism that pops up periodically uh, related to skin color and sin, and it seems to have its origin somewhere in the book of Enoch and this esoteric idea from First Men.
1: The Forbidden Knowledge of Enoch. Uh, R.J. Von Bruning, my guest here on the Conspiracy Show. Uh, now, you mentioned this genetic modification, uh, and this was, I mean, uh, can you flesh that out a little bit for us? Uh, who was responsible? Was it the Watchers? And, and what was the purpose of this genetic modification, according to uh, your, your research?
0: In my research, I basically just follow the traditional Judeo-Christian belief system that we were, and I, I break the, I, I try to pull it out of a religious aspect that because eventually this group, the original group, breaks into two warring factions that we typically know as God and the angels and Lucifer and his fallen angels. And I basically call them the main group and the fallen group, keep them clear. It appears that both groups have interfered with us genetically. Uh, originally working together in the creation of us, then it's the time of the fall, there appears to have been some type of genetic modification, and then after the flood, after the destruction, the book Enoch again leads toward, or I should say the dream vision, gives the idea that there was even more genetic modification done afterwards, so that there was kind of a successive period of of just modifications over time.
1: All right, and the sheep and the lambs, uh, explain who they are.
0: I speculate that, or I hypothesize that, the sheep are our immediate ancestor, cro manglin man, which shows up in the fossil record at about 40,000 BC. And then, for us, the lambs would be us, modern man, that we show up genetically distinctly about 10,000 years ago. And now, like I said before, helps give a generic, a genetic, a generic timeline. To help start putting the story in. And then, kind of getting back to where you asked about Bigfoot, is when in the story of the dream vision where the bulls are turned into the sheep, this is also the same story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the Bible. And the key to understanding that is that it talks that Jacob has a brother that everybody seems to forget about. Esau. In the dream vision, he's called a black wild boar. In the Bible, if you take the time to read that part of Genesis, you'll discover that he is described as a hairy man, and that he's just like his father, who's hairy all over, and that he's larger, and he's stronger, and he's bigger, and he's a man of the field, where Jacob is a smooth man and a man of the tent. And I speculate, and I think that's telling us, that the one we call Bigfoot could be the same one that is described in the Bible as the hairy man, the brother of Jacob.
1: And how do, why do you arrive at that? That seems on the surface to be an incredible leap.
0: It does. And that's been the big difficulty in kind of describing what the dream vision unlocks. You have to go have to start at the beginning and move through the symbolism, because if you jump into the middle of the story like we just did with going, how does this tie together? How do you make a leap like that? Because uh, you're missing all these other pieces. It, it's been broken up into little tiny pieces. And if anyone and if you don't have them all in a line, it just kind of sounds crazy.
1: Granted, well, that's unfortunately those. Are, that's one of the uh, the perils of uh, you know trying to compress 25 years of research into one hour. But uh, we'll we'll do what what we can. <laughs> we'll come back with R. J. von Bruning, the forbidden knowledge of Enoch, right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett.
0: You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
1: Welcome back, the forbidden knowledge of Enoch. Uh, continuing on with this uh, discussion about uh, the, the the Cro-Magnon and the the, the uh, Neanderthals. Uh, My wife uh, is an archaeologist by training. She's always correcting me when I say Neanderthal. She says, no, it's Neanderthal. Uh, But uh, you you point out something very interesting in the book, uh, R.J., and that is if we are to understand that uh, Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthals uh, were um, the the byproduct of uh, sort of a a genetic engineering on the part of the uh, the watchers, They were created as a slave race, and of course we've heard this this part before. By you know, in terms of the Anunnaki and 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 so forth and so forth. Um, But you 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 found something, or you say there's something very interesting in the fossil record, which would tend to support the idea that Cro-Magnon man and Neanderthals were were just that slaves.
0: Yeah, with Neanderthal is the pattern of injuries that have been found, because one of the ideas that the dream vision and the esoteric belief system that comes from all this puts forward is that most of the neanderthals that we find today found in caves and stuff especially older finds and they seem to be pretty beat up uh, they seem to have nutritional problems and stuff the idea is, is that these being these neanderthals may have been escaped slaves from this society and that they were hiding and that's kind of why they were having trouble living off the land and why we see the injuries that we do.
1: And what types of injuries are we talking about? Are these would be injuries that were sustained while they were slaves?
0: Most likely. There's, within the archaeological record, numerous finds of Neanderthals with broken bones that had healed, uh, where they had lost limbs. And traditionally this has been interpreted that they were taken care of by the other members and that the society was a little bit more developed than we traditionally think. The esoteric idea in the book Enoch kind of gives the idea that they were slaves and these guys may have been escaped slaves is what we're finding today. And that eventually they were transformed into basically a newer, smarter, more efficient slave which would be our immediate ancestor. The wild part is is that we have found finds, uh, in fact a number of caves in the Middle East with one being in Israel where pro-Mangloman and Neanderthal remains have been found together and they've always been a big, huge mystery on why they were found together. Were they living together? Were they interacting together? Were they interbreeding together? The esoterics give the idea that no, these could all possibly be family members of just like describing the Bible that if Abraham and Isaac are Neanderthal and Jacob is the first promangling man and his brother Ishu is what we call Bigfoot today could possibly explain why those remains are together because they were told in the Bible that they're all buried in the same cave
1: fascinating how are we to understand then the great flood through the prism of the book of Enoch
0: one of the first things that caught my eye when I read the dream Vision. In the dream vision, it's not really explained at or described as a worldwide flood. He actually describes an enclosure that is flooded and that he sees seven great torrents of water come down from heaven and that the earth opens up and the waters flood out and it floods an enclosure. And that's vastly different than the biblical tradition, that it was a worldwide flood. Oh. And I have to often suspect that that's another reason why the early church moved this book out, because it counterdicts the traditional idea.
1: Sure, sure. But what is the takeaway, then, from that interpretation of the flood, in
0: your mind? In my mind, is that this is would have to be a low-lining area. A basin. Um, I speculate, due to the going so far back in time, that it could possibly be the Mediterranean basin, and at a much lower water level, and that could be the reason why we haven't really ever found anything, because it's all underwater today.
1: And and uh, and then what of of Noah and the story of
0: the ark? <clears throat> well, the dream vision does speak of an ark being built just like the tradition, and that it comes to rest on a mountain, if by chance it was actually the Mediterranean basin that was the enclosure that was flooded, then everybody's wrong about thinking it's Mount Ararat in Turkey, that it's probably more likely would have been on what we would call islands today in the Mediterranean.
1: Fascinating. All right, uh, we are coming up on a uh, another break here. Uh, this is a short uh, a short segment. When we come back, uh, we'll continue to delve into the forbidden knowledge of Enoch. R.J. von Brüning, my guest, 25 years uh, in the making. I mean, uh, as we just head into a break, just give me a sense of, you know, what, led you from a career in, i guess it was it electrical engineering or the electrical uh, industry into pursuing this i mean just well we'll do that when we come back i hear the music percolating up but uh fascinating fascinating uh, story here back with more on the conspiracy show don't go away Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. R.J. von Brüning is with us, giving us a guided tour of the lost book of Enoch. It's called The Forbidden Knowledge of Enoch. Uh, As you mention in in the book, uh, this is a, a book that has great interest with certain esoteric societies, the Freemasons among them. Are you a Freemason?
0: No, I am personally not, but I do come from a very Masonic family. In fact, as far back as I can go in the genealogy, all of my family, except for a few members of the recent generation, have always been Masonic. Is it and,
1: and, and um, is it this uh, this lineage uh, that you come from? Is this why you? Is this what piqued your interest in this book? The the, the fact that the Freemasons were so uh, fascinated by the Book of Enoch. Is this what led you you on your journey?
0: Pretty much. Um, my kind of have to back up here. Um, my, like I said, my family very Masonic. Around the time I was born, there was, like most families, a big, huge falling out, and my immediate family and my folks moved to another state away from the rest of the family. I had never got any details on why, and I was always told that I came from a Masonic family, and it was always there in the background, especially when grandparents and uncles and stuff would come and visit, or I would go and visit them. But I would never, ever been, I, I wouldn't be told anything specific. You know, when I'd ask about it, hey, what's the masonry? And they'd just kind of not want to talk about it. So on the one hand, I was told about it, that I came from it, but on the other hand, I was never given any details, and the truth is that just made it irresistible.
1: Sure, absolutely.
0: I <laughs> wanted to know why. What was the big, huge secret? And, and when I got into the electrical industry and stuff, uh, I spent a lot of my early career working on government projects and on military bases and stuff, and I was basically told that, I didn't want to join anything like the Masons or any groups that were controversial in any way, or I wouldn't be allowed to work on those types of projects.
1: Isn't that interesting, because that used to be your ticket into those kinds of projects, I'm imagining, yeah, at one time in our history.
0: Today, it's not that way, at least not for the guys working with the tools.
1: No, okay, <laughs> interesting, yes, how ironic. Um, so, uh, so in, in essence, your, this was uh, a journey you wanted to find out, who you were and where you came from, and then you, you stumbled onto the Book of Enoch.
0: Yes. Um, over the years, as family members have passed away and stuff, I've slowly received Masonic books and Bibles and encyclopedias and all kinds of paraphernalia, and, I was, and that even sparked my interest even more because of how vaguely it was written. And all of it always seemed to be pointing back to the Book of Enoch.
1: And why and, is that? What is the connection uh, between Freemasonry and uh, and the Book of Enoch? Why the fascination, or why the the, the obsession?
0: Because, in in, in my opinion, and I would argue that the reason the Book of Enoch is so important is because the symbolic dream vision is actually basic story that provides the doctrine for the re- esoteric religion and that is what masonry is masonry is actually an esoteric religion or a mystery school uh... are one of the few survivors that christianity didn't manage to stomp out fifteen hundred years ago that's when people kind of wonder what is masonry Masonry and its sister organizations and other groups like them...
1: Like the Rosicrucians?
0: Yes, are basically the few surviving mystery religions we always hear about that Christianity stomped out 15th, 16th centuries ago. And what is the threat? What mainly is the mainly why they went underground.
1: And what, what's at the root uh, uh, of the, the conflict between uh, Freemasonry and... Uh, the Rosicrucians, and, and Christianity as it pertains to Enoch. What is it that's so um, threatening uh, in the book of Enoch to the Christian uh, or the biblical narrative as we know it?
0: I would argue because it changes the timeline, and that's the biggest thing. They have a different timeline, and they don't really look at the Bible as a religious book They view it more as a historical book. And they believe, and they have actually good reason to believe that everything that's described in the Bible has already happened, including the Armageddon that everybody likes to talk about, the end of days. And they believe it happened about 13,000 years ago, which is just an unbelievable curveball thrown to most people.
1: Well, yeah, and, I mean, uh, because, you know, we are told, uh, and I believe, <laughs> that Christ lived uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and and he talked about, you know, in the days of Noah, he talked about the end times. So how does the historical figure, Jesus Christ, fit into
0: the timeline? Um, he actually fits. They move him back. They move him back to about 13,000 years ago, to about 11,000 BC, is when they think the great destruction happened, which coincides with that we know that something catastrophic happened on this planet about 11,000 years ago. And to the esoterics, they believe that this catastrophic event is actually what is recorded in the book of Revelations. And that's where it gets wild and goes directly against Everything we've been taught all our lives is that everything that we've been told happened 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, actually happened closer to 10 or 12 or 13,000 years ago. That there's actually a big, huge gap in our history. And that is one of the main conflicts between the two groups. Well, uh... the esoterics are saying, no, Jesus actually lived about 13,000 years ago, not 2,000 years ago. What we call ancient Rome didn't fall 1,500 years ago. It actually fell sometime around 10,000 B.C. And just coming out and saying that just sounds rather bizarre if you don't have the rest of the backstory, the rest of the belief and the secret to unlocking that the dream vision in the book of Enoch
1: now uh i don't want to spend a lot of time on this and we don't have a lot of time we've got about 6 minutes but uh um, getting back to the historical jesus i mean we have i mean it's often been said and i think correctly i mean we know uh, people say well there there, what, there may not have been an historical jesus there is more written about we know more about uh, Jesus there's been more written about him outside of the Bible than has been written about people that we we just generally assume did exist, like Plato, for example. I mean we have the writings of Josephus and and, and many others outside the Bible writing about an historical Jesus. So how, do, how was that achieved that the timeline was you know flipped around uh, in, in such a way?
0: That is really hopefully going to be part of another book. <laughs> To answer that question but the truth is the esoterics basically believe that we kind of basically fell into a dark age and that what we read in our history books starting around 15 to 1600 years ago when we have um, the beginnings of the Middle Ages just right before Charlemagne just these small little kingdoms little villages people just basically living and constantly living on the edge is how we actually existed for thousands of years after the destruction. And then the church and Charlemagne and all that is actually where our history starts picking up and becoming what we know today as history, and that they just basically filled in the gaps as they went. They found these stories and went, it happened 500 years ago, or it happened 200 years ago. And if you kind of put it in perspective of 1,500 years ago, you're trying to consolidate power, you're trying to pull people together, politicians and church people lie. And that they just basically filled it in, and there was no way anybody could disagree with them.
1: So the the, the takeaway here, then, is uh, that what we are learning from the Book of Enoch is that, that mankind, modern man, is far older uh, than we've been led to believe, that we are descendants of a... Um, a um, slaves, race of slaves, that were genetically engineered by uh, these watchers, and whether you believe that they're angels or aliens, uh, this is where we periodically received kind of an evolutionary um, uh, reboot. Is that the idea?
0: Basically. uh, The last one that leads to the creation of us seems to have been done to help us survive. The destruction that happened around ten thousand BC,
1: and um, the um, the idea of this the the fall. I mean, I know we're jumping back and forth here a little bit, but uh, just in, in a in a minute or two, can you explain how the fall of man uh, um, fits into this narrative uh, laid out by the, the, in the Book of, of Enoch? What is the fall then?
0: The fall is essentially of Lucifer coming to Earth and eventually his angels following him. And that this is the exact same story in other traditions. This is also Zeus and the Olympians coming. This is Ra for the Egyptians. This is uh, the Anunnaki that Stitcham talks about, that this one singular event is important and actually becomes the point where we can start talking about history, and because we have two different parties. They, they break into two parties, and this basically starts a war that a theologian would argue is still going on to this very day, between good and evil.
1: And, uh, and Lucifer, I mean, it's been long charged that that, uh, that the Masons are Luciferian, that they worship Lucifer, the fallen angel. Who is then Lucifer, uh, according to you, to your understanding, or the Masonic understanding?
0: Um, first thing is, is I don't, I would not say that the Masons are worship Lucifer. They acknowledge him, but they acknowledge him more as an equal to God. So they're kind of two sides of the same coin, which kind of goes against most traditional thinking and more of a Gnostic kind of thought. Thinking. Um, but Lucifer is traditionally always thought of, and I presented in my book too, that he is the bringer of knowledge. He's the one that breaks the slavery. He's the one that changes everything. And that's where the confusion lies because within the esoteric, as you learn the story and go through the dream vision, you get the impression that the good guy isn't always the good guy and the bad guy is not always bad guy, that we have kind of a distorted view of what was going on all those centuries ago.
1: Well, it's very provocative, fascinating. We'll have to have you back on because, as I say, it's very difficult to compress 25 years of research uh, and that's what it took uh, to put this book together uh, into about 45 minutes. It's really a ridiculous task, but that's what (laughs) we have. Uh, I really appreciate uh, spending some time with you, RJ. Would you be uh, good to come back with us at another point?
0: Oh, yeah, any time.
1: And uh, very quickly, uh, how, how can people learn more about the book or uh, order the book? Give us a website.
0: Um, the easiest way to learn about it is just to go to my blog, Uh There are also links at the bottom there for ordering. And it is available at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and most all online book retailers and bookstores and can be ordered directly from the publisher at tapepublishing.com.
1: Excellent. Well, once again, I appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. Thanks, RJ. Had
0: a great time.
1: Likewise. RJ von Bruning, The Forbidden Knowledge of Enoch. Well, I'm going to have to go back and reread that. Fascinating. All right, the website, RichardSerrett.com. As I mentioned uh, earlier in the hour, some point over the summer, it will be revamped, relaunched under a new banner. It'll be Strange Planet strangeplanet.tv, strangeplanet.ca. However, the content will remain more or less the same. Everything that you uh, need to know about The Conspiracy Show as it exists on richardserrett.com will still be there. And as always, you can uh, say hello on Twitter, at Richard And you know what I say, how I end every hour. Follow the truth.